Many of us uh, in the past few weeks have gone through some significant changes in our routines. We've had to learn new technologies as we work from home. Many of us have had a number of new challenges to face. Certainly, I think we can all agree that the future, whatever that looks like, is a bit unknown. And so uh, if you are just joining us for the first time, we are in the midst of this series called Tough as Nails, Being Tough in a World of Danger. We planned this series long before there was a COVID-19, uh, but it is, seems so, uh, so appropriate, uh, almost too perfectly timed, unfortunately. And today we're in part two of that series. And uh, so today, in this world of craziness, in this world of challenge, what we want to be talking about, what I'm going to be talking about today, is how do we, how do we be tough? How do we be tough when things get tough? How to be tough when things get tough. Last week, um, if you joined us, we talked about emotions, and we talked about that in the midst of these moments of kind of craziness, uh, there are a lot of emotions. We feel stressed. We feel frustration. We feel fear and anxiety. And all of those emotions, in fact, are actually understandable. And what we learned and concluded last week was that emotions don't necessarily have to neglect faith. That some of us maybe were raised in a tradition of religion or Christianity where we had to push those emotions to the side and not be honest about where we are. But that, in fact, is probably not the best way to go about it. In fact, we learned last week that Jesus, the man who we as Christians follow, um, Jesus uh, modeled that there are moments in which the emotions can come out and that we need to be honest with that because that's a part of being human. And he showed that and he demonstrated it. It's kind of more a matter of where we take those emotions. We talked about that there are some good places to go with those emotions. And so you can catch up if you missed last week on our app or on our website. Now, isn't it true that in these emotional moments, especially when things are not going well, it's possible when things are going well, but especially when things aren't going well, we just don't like to sit on those emotions we eventually get to the place where we want to do something about those emotions. In other words, that the emotion gets so strong and so powerful that we can't help but do something. We know it may not be the best something, but we got to do something. And isn't it true that the more emotion there is, the more we like to or ideally want to take an action on behalf of that emotion. We want to change something, try to do something different. We want to say something. We want to avoid something. We want to engage in something that otherwise we wouldn't, but because that emotion is so powerful, we can't help but take an action. But the catch is, the catch is that sometimes, despite wanting to take an action, sometimes, in fact, there's nothing we can do. And, and there, there's a bit of a spectrum here. Sometimes there's nothing we can do, but then other times there's everything we can do. Many of us are in the boat, not all of us, but many of us are in the boat of, in the, in the midst of this pandemic, of the nothing end of things, where there's not a lot that we can do. In fact, we're being told to do nothing, to stay home, to not go out, to wash our hands is about all we can do. Now, others of us are in a place in our careers or work that we do, maybe first responders, where there is a lot that we can do. There is a lot that we can do. And this just doesn't apply to pandemics. This applies to everyday life. This applies, maybe you're watching this message uh, a year from now. Really, any time that we go through tough times, there's a bit of a spectrum that our actions can take, that they'll actually have an impact, 
or not really have an impact. Sometimes if we have a, a, a health diagnosis, for some of us, we've gotten one of those diagnoses that we can do nothing about it. It just is. We're going to have to learn to live with it. Or, or for others of us, we, we get a diagnosis where there's a lot we can do. We can treat it, we can try trials, and we can do something about it. For some of us in our parenting, especially when our children are younger, there's a lot more that we can do. When we get upset or we think something's not going wrong and those emotions are coming out, there's a lot we can do uh, for our kids and with our kids when they're younger. But as they get older, and uh, we tend to move, or we should be moving parents, uh, more towards this end of the spectrum where there's not a lot we can do. We have to let them learn on their own. Our time is kind of done. Or maybe you've been in a spot, uh, maybe at work, where a boss or uh, another coworker has done something, maybe something unethical, or maybe you've done something unethical, and you feel somewhat between a rock and a hard place, and, and you're not sure if you should do something or you shouldn't do something, or in fact, maybe that's on one end of the spectrum, because in some of those ethical dilemmas, you either do nothing and pretend it didn't happen, or if you do even one thing, that means everything happens. We've all had to play around and be um, in the midst of this contemplation of what actions are we going to take in response to this emotions, and is the impact, what impact is it going to have? What, what can we do? So today, I want to give you two things that you can do regardless of where you land on this spectrum, regardless of the situation that you have the opportunity in pretty much every case that I can think of, you can do these two things to help you move forward and more specifically to be tough in really tough situations. Now, today, I'm not going to start with the Bible. Um, we'll eventually get there. But what I want to do is I want to start with Jesus followers or Christians, specifically um, Jesus followers who lived 1,900 years ago, 1,900 years ago. Um, and uh, I want to start there because, and some of you know your history, but I want to start there because they lived, Christians 1,900 years ago, lived in a world of danger. And they lived there by choice. They, they didn't have a virus forcing them to do nothing and to stay, out, uh, stay inside and, and, and um, stay away from other people or forcing them into a world of danger. They chose to be in a world of danger because at this time in history, Christians were persecuted by the Roman Empire. Um, from about 30 AD to about 300 AD and Constantine, Christians would routinely face, depending on who was in charge, persecution. And they lived under that threat of either being arrested or tortured or in some cases executed simply because they followed Jesus. And they decided to follow Jesus. They decided to be in that tough world. To be Christian meant you had to be tough. And even if um, you're not sure about history today, for example, if you um, are a Christian in, in other countries, um, there are many countries, especially um, in, in the Middle East and Pacific Asian countries, that you may, if you choose to become a Christian, you may have, uh, the church will have you sign a document, of course the church is in hiding, a document that says that you are, you are uh, accepting the risk of being a Christian in this nation, that there is a likelihood that you may lose your life because of your faith. That's even today. 
Now, I want to look at this because I think it brings us back to the roots because these people were just coming out of, um, uh, uh, or were very close to the time of Jesus. Um, about 40 years before this, Paul existed, and Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, was roaming about um, the Mediterranean Rim and starting churches. Paul, who wrote our New Testament. In fact, we're going to look at some words of Paul a little bit later. Um, about 40 years after that, there was a man named Pliny the Younger. There was a man named Pliny the Younger. And Pliny the Younger um, was kind of a big deal. That's really what you need to know. He was a big deal. He was an imperial magistrate in the Roman Empire. He was a governor. And more importantly, he wrote a number of letters. And those letters, like 200 and some or so, you can Google it, um, they survived antiquity and are regarded widely as amazing historical documents to give us uh, insight into what was happening in these days. And Pliny the Younger um, uh, was um, told by the Roman Empire at the time, uh, Emperor Trajan, that he needed to figure out what these Christians were up to because these Christians were like spreading like wildfire. Everybody was becoming a Christian. They needed to figure out what was happening and snuff it out. They needed to take care of it. And so Pliny did a number of things. Um, he, he first started to do some investigations. So he sent in some spies. And then he eventually, if you read the letter that we're actually going to read today, um, the whole letter, um, he, he would capture Christians and torture them and execute them, uh, execute them. In fact, he referenced two women leaders in the church. Women, you were leaders in the church even back then. And he captured them and tortured them. And then he sent those spies in and he just had to get to the root with why these Christians were so bad and then figure out a way to stop them. And then he wrote everything that he found and he sent it in a letter to Emperor Trajan. And that's what we're going to read starting right now. So here's what Pliny, the said, Pliny said to the emperor. The sum and substance of their fault, because they were at fault, the Christians were bad, they were not good, the fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meeting on a fixed day before dawn. And this day was Sunday, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so they celebrated Jesus and held worship services on Sunday mornings, more than not in their homes, okay? Now, could you imagine getting up before dawn and having church service. Could you imagine that? What, what would happen if we moved our infused church services to 5 a.m.? Like, would you show up? I know some of you are already going to struggle to show up when we go back to meeting physically as well as we'll continue to stay online. You're going to be tempted just to stay in bed and stay comfy because you've gotten used to that. Am I right? But when they would get up before dawn, that was their commitment. Not only did they get up before dawn, but they also endured torture because of their faith. It took toughness. Plenty continues. They'd get up before dawn, and this is what they would do. They would sing responsively a hymn to Christ, Jesus, as to a God. Now, do you think that they were on key? Probably not. Do you think it really mattered? No. Because they weren't afraid of not being on key. They were afraid of losing their lives. So they just sang it out. And most people at that time couldn't read. And so singing was a great way for them to learn about God, learn theology, and better develop their faith. Plenty continues. So they sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as God and bind themselves by oath. Now, 
I don't know what Emperor Trajan was thinking when he read this letter, or more likely than not, somebody read it to him. But I would imagine this is where he thought it was going to get really juicy. This is where he thought like the, the culty part of this Christian thing was going to come out, and they were going to figure out the weird part and what weird things that they were doing, because they were about to bind themselves by oath. Here's what Pliny said he found out when he sent his spies in. They bound themselves to oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify trust, nor refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. In other words, they were getting together every Sunday morning together to commit by oath before one another that they were going to go out and for the rest of the week, they were not going to mistreat anybody else even though they themselves were likely going to face mistreatment because of this belief. Even though culture around them said, it's okay to steal and, and uh, to commit fraud and to commit adultery. In fact, that was so normal, they invent, uh, eventually the Roman Empire put rules into place to say that men had to get married because there was just so much adultery going on that they were trying to um, stem the flow and, and re- regain some sense of, of society. Um, and, and they committed, Christians were committing to go out and live this way, even though culture says that it's okay to do this, and that they were not going to break trust. In other words, they were not going to break commitments. They were not going to break their word. They were going to be reliable parts of the community. Now, to you and me, we might sit here and say, well, this sounds really good. This sounds like something we should all do. Great people. In fact, these are people that I want to be friends with. In fact, these are people that I want my kids to marry. These are the kinds of people I want to be around. But plenty the younger, and the Roman Empire, he even says this in his letter, considered Christianity a contagion, a superstition that needed to be cured, that Christians were the illness, and they needed to be wiped out. That's what Christians faced. Not a chance of death, an actual reality that many of them could die. That's what they looked for every, that's what was waiting for them around the corner every single day. And it was so countercultural. It was so countercultural to ha- hold this belief. To me, this is, this is the definition of tough. Facing adversity, facing challenges, facing a loss of freedom, facing fear, facing down job loss, all that kind of stuff. In the midst of that, they were being tough. They knew what it was like to be tough. And part of the reason they knew how to be tough is because they had a great teacher. Part of the reason they didn't stumble in this is because they had been taught this and they knew why they were doing this. And in fact, we can learn it too 2,000 years later. In fact, they didn't even have the Bible. I mean, think about this. We have the Bible. They didn't even have the Bible. They may have had letters. In fact, they may have had the letter we're about to look at because what would happen is people like Paul would write a letter and the letter we're going to look at, he, he wrote it to the church in Galatia. And we call it the book of Galatians, but really it's just a letter that he wrote to a, a church in Galatia. In other words, another group of these people meeting in someone's home under fear of persecution. He wrote this letter to them. Um, and they may have had this letter because those letters then would have been distributed, but they had not been brought together and bound in one single book for at least another couple hundred years. 
but they had learned the most important parts about being a Christian. They had learned it from other people. In fact, some of them may have even learned it directly from Paul, directly from Jesus. And here's what they had learned. This is what Paul said in his letter to the church in Galatia. He said, carry each other's burdens. In other words, people are going to be burdened. I don't know if you knew that. People are going to be burdened. Maybe you feel exceptionally burdened right now. People are going to be burdened. And we need to help them. We need to lighten the load by helping take some of that burden on our shoulders, letting them know that we're there for them, that we can get through even the toughest of times. And vice versa is also true, that there are times in which we need other people to take on our burdens as well. You need other people to help you carry that burden. They learned a lesson about what it means to be tough. And people who are tough say this phrase. People who are tough say this phrase. I can't be tough alone. I can't be tough alone. Now we're going to do something that's a little weird, but I hope you'll join me wherever you're watching from. Maybe it's your living room. Maybe you're in, uh, on your phone. Maybe you're driving wherever you are. I want us to say this line together out loud, okay? Even if people think you're talking right to a screen, you can just pretend that we're FaceTiming right now. Whatever it takes, we're just going to say this out loud together, okay? Ready? Here we go. I can't be tough together. I forgot there were people in the room they started talking to. It was like, wait, where'd you guys come from? Okay. Um, sorry, threw me off a little bit. Um, so you, this is so important that I can't be tough alone. Listen, you can get by alone. You can maybe even survive alone. But I don't think you can be as tough as you possibly could be if you didn't have people that had your back. You can pretend that you're tough when people are watching, but then when people aren't watching, that's when your guard comes down. That's when you realize you're not as tough as you actually think you are. I don't think without people having your back, you don't have the potential to reach that a peak ability to endure adversity, to get through whatever um, life throws at you if you don't have people that have your back. I promise you, people that go through their lives and understand they can't be tough alone, will have a better, more enjoyable life than someone who tries to go at it alone. Let's be better together. Paul gave some examples of adversity and challenges that people around us, or maybe even ourselves, um, can face. And, and he talked about that before and after this particular um, section in, in Galatians. Uh, verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, if someone is, is lying, is cheating, is committing adultery, all those things that plenty of the younger said that the Christians um, were, were taking an oath not to do, someone's in sin. You who live by the Spirit, you who are Christian, should restore that person gently. But also watch yourself so that you yourself are not tempted. Christians, help restore others when others need help. Because when you need to be restored, wouldn't it be a lot better to have people there ready to help you? He also says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. When anyone thinks that they're so much better than they actually are, they're a little arrogant, they're pretending they need some people around them to correct them and help them to realize gently that they don't have to go at it alone, that they don't have to put that false pretense out there, that they can be honest and authentic and ask for help when they need it. 
He also says, carry each other's burdens. And then, um, and, and I realize um, a, a lot of us have a lot of things going on and, and there are some um, unique burdens out there because let's be honest, uh, very, very, very few of us, and, unless you're, you're up, like above 100, have lived through a pandemic quite like this. But to carry one another burdens, we can do that. We don't know necessarily how to navigate a pandemic, but many of us have experienced job loss before. Many of us have experienced fear before. Many of us have experienced temptation, a loss of income, life changes, marriage issues, communication issues. Many of us have experienced that. And just because some of those issues have been made worse or more common because of a pandemic doesn't mean there aren't people out there that can help you, help me, help us all to navigate that better. Why not help each other out to do good to all people, as Paul says later in this letter to the church in Galatians? My friends, you don't have to go through this alone. You can choose to go through it alone, but you don't have to go at it alone. So here's my point, and here's the catch to this first point of these two things, is I really want you to join an online group. And it's like, ah, Taylor, there's the catch. I know. And I know it feels like, ah, that was such a good lead up to just join a group, but I'm, I'm really serious. I don't care where you live, whether it's here in Iowa or the West Coast, East Coast, or not even in the United States. Maybe, maybe this is a church that you uh, want to be a part of, or maybe your church isn't meeting right now, and so you need a church. Um, maybe you're, you're stuck inside feeling a lot isolated, and it's difficult to meet people. I think, I hope you will consider joining an online group. We're not physically meeting together, but we will give you all the resources and tools and awesome people to get together with and be in community with to navigate at least the next 12 weeks. You can go online, sign up at infuse.church groups. You meet weekly for at least 12 weeks. That gets you through about June. You build relationships, you explore faith. Mind you, there is no like cap of understanding faith to join one of our groups, okay? We're a church about exploring faith no matter where you are in your faith journey. You build relationships, explore faith, and groups will start right after Easter. So I really encourage you to consider inviting other people into your life, and eventually you'll get, as you build relationships, to the place where you're willing to trust others and help carry each other's burdens and help let others carry yours, okay? I can't be tough alone. Now, here's the last point, point two, the second thing that you can do in all times. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. My friends, in, in times like these, we need, more than ever, a compass, a value system, a savior, that no matter what happens around us, and every day it seems like a new day, we know what due north is. We know the right thing. We know where we're going to keep our eyes. That Christians 2,000 years ago, in the face of torture and losing their own lives, and even Christians today, this is what Jesus provided for them. This is what the law of Christ provided them, a compass in the midst of tough times to be tough. Here's the law of Christ. Or here's at least what Jesus said um, in, in, in John documented. This is the law of Christ. This is my commandment. Jesus is talking right now. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay one's life down 
for one another. In other words, that love sometimes requires us to make exceptional, extraordinary sacrifices. And Jesus did that for us. Jesus did that for me. And I realize some of you don't quite believe this yet, but Jesus did that for you as well. He carried the debt of our sin and he paid for it. Why? Because that is what love requires. And when God answered the question, what does love require? It meant coming to earth to teach us, to show us, to give us these commands, give us a clear due north, a clear direction in the midst of tough times. And then to pay for all that we have done wrong. Why did Christians back then, why were they willing to endure such threat and take an oath not to steal or to cheat? I mean, it seems normal today, but it certainly wasn't then. It's because that's what love required of them. Why were Christians at that time growing like a contagion that the emperor of Rome felt like they needed to cure it? Because it was so irresistible. People couldn't help but hang out with these extraordinary, amazing people that it seemed like no matter what was happening, they had peace that truly passed all understanding. And more importantly, because any opportunity they had, they were tough together. No matter what they felt inside, no matter what actions that they could or couldn't take, they were tough together. And they always ask themselves this question. It's a question that I bring up at least once a year. What does love require of me? And my friends, I think this is the time more than any that we need to be asking ourselves this question. What does love require of me? Maybe for you in the weeks ahead, pandemic or no, success or difficulty, whatever you're going through in your life together, you need to ask yourself, what does love require of me? Because for some of you, that means maybe starting a new faith journey. Maybe it means joining us next week. Maybe it means opening up your Bible. Maybe it means taking that step, which is a little uncomfortable, I realize, to meet in a group together. For some of us, especially those who are most skeptical, just try it. I mean, think about this. What What if we all just tried this? What if all of the world for this week and this week alone just tried doing this? that we were going to go through this together, not each for themselves, you know, survival of the fittest, not that kind of thing. I'm talking tough together. What if the rest of the world asked themselves Monday morning when they woke up, what does love require of me? Do you think that could have an impact on what this whole thing looks like a few months from now? I think it could change. It has the potential to change a whole lot of things. I'd really encourage you this week to be people that don't think we have to have it all together and pretend, but that we're people who get tough and recognize our own limitations and recognize where maybe other people could help us out. And we take those steps to grow and to learn and to be challenged to be better. And for some of us to take that step, maybe for the first time of re-engaging with our faith, uh, uh, re-imagining what faith could look like, or maybe to lean back into a faith that we've walked away from for some time. And my hope is if you just try this this week, you'll realize the benefits that it has. And that Paul and the Christians from thousands and thousands of years ago knew what they were talking about and persevered through even the toughest times for a good reason. 
if you would, wherever you're watching from, except if you're driving, bow your heads right now, close your eyes, and let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, my prayer uh, for all of us in the the weeks ahead, because there's going to be some challenging weeks. We're going to see some things, some challenging things that are going on in our lives and in the lives of others that we would be willing to maybe step out of our comfort zone. And maybe we don't feel the need right now. It, you know, sometimes we, we tend to operate a little bit more on, on what's needed and, and, and what we feel like is needed. But that if, if we don't feel like this is needed right now, that we would at least store it away so that when that time comes, we could be at a place where we could take a step and be willing to be tough together. Whether we can do everything or nothing, during the challenging times in our lives that we would choose to be together in it, tough together. Lord, you have given us an awesome ability to be able to design new and different technologies. We have the ability to connect like Christians and people have never connected before. And so Lord, help us to lean into that. I know we already are to have fun and to pass the time, but to lean into these technologies in a meaningful way to help us be connected and endure some of the greatest challenges that any of us have ever faced. And Lord, help us maybe to look to you as our model for what love requires of us. To ask ourselves as we read and understand what you did and what you did for us, to, to look at that and say, what did love require of God? What did love require of Jesus? And then to live that out as we navigate some challenging situations, tough decisions ahead. Ask ourselves to pray, in fact, about what love requires of us. Lord, give us the wisdom and the strength and the courage in the weeks to come to live this out. In your name I pray, amen.